Hey friends, I'm Crystal Kate Bonham and you're listening to the Off The Bike Podcast. I created this conversation because I believe in community. I mean, isn't that what we're all here for? So whether you're an instructor looking to grow your influence, a fitness guru searching for that next level experience, or an entrepreneur at heart looking for growth in your career, join us as we unclip, hop off the bike, and dig into creating an extraordinary life. Super excited about today's episode. We get to dive into all things indoor cycling from an instructor's perspective and an instructor's instructor perspective. I get to chat with Lisa Michelson, the founder and CEO of Soundride, and also a really good friend of mine. So I hope you guys enjoy. This one's a good one. Let's go ahead, you know, before we hop into the real juicy stuff and continue that conversation, why don't you share with us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today? Oh, well, that's a long story. Um, But after I was done with my master's program, you know, my husband and I, we got married and, um, you know, that adulting thing started to set in and I'm like, all right, time for me to get a big girl job. And um, actually in college, college is where I started teaching indoor cycling. Um, I was teaching just like at our rec gym, at our gym on campus. I love that. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome. It, what was awesome was like I I had been certified, but it was like a really long time ago. It was years and years prior to me wanting to teach in college. And they were like, it's okay. We're not a corporation. It's fine. We don't care. Yeah. Yeah. We're not a corporation. You just audition for us and show us what you got. And then let's throw you up there. So it was like, sweet, let's do this. And so that was kind of my first taste of teaching group fitness. And I just loved it. Um, and when I graduated from my master's, I, I stopped teaching cause I left college and, um, you know, got my big girl job and I was doing that for about a year and just really like my life felt very passion yeah, missing something yeah sure. like yeah I passion passionless isn't really a word but um I just felt like there was like you said like there was just something missing and so I auditioned at like a, I'll keep it nameless but I auditioned at like a big box gym locally and most awkward audition I've ever had in my entire life <laughs> um it was rough but they hired me and brought me on and so I just started I started teaching again which was great and basically got paid nothing to do it, which is, um, something that I think is also, uh, a topic that's not really talked about in our industry, just how a lot of like larger big box gyms just really under, it's not all of them, but a lot of them just really underpay their instructors. Um, and so, but there was just something kind of pulling me in that direction. And so I started teaching again. And, um, then a girlfriend of mine, mentioned that there was this like boutique studio that was opening in Costa Mesa. And she's like, you should send them your resume. I think they're going to open in like a few months. And so I did, they came and took a class of mine um, and they loved it. And they were like, we want you to be a part of our team. We're opening in a couple months. Like, would you like to join us? And I was like, heck yeah. And they were like, well, we're going to go more rhythm based and choreography. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I, sure. <laughs> I'm like, I don't okay. know what, like I taught traditional spin for years and had no clue what that even meant. I'd never even taken like a rhythm based choreographed class before. And so I went out to LA, took a couple classes just to kind of get my feet wet. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. This is kind of cool. What um, was your first like reaction when you took that rhythm based class and, oh and like gosh. movement came in? What was your first like, <laughs> reaction to that? 
I remember getting on the phone with my husband after class and he was like, how was it? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, what even I, just happened. <laughs> I, exactly. It was like, what the heck just happened? I, I, it was like, there was this kind of like internal conflict within me that was like, that was kind of cool, but so like far from anything I'd ever done or had been taught. And I'm, and yet there was a part of me that wanted to go back and do it again. It was weird. It was like, I was kind of confused, but at the same time loved it because I love music. Um, and so I love that the beat was like an aspect to the class, like finding the beat with your body. Um, and I also love that there was this like kind of emotional component to it as well, which I loved. Um, and so I was like, all right, okay, I can, I can jump on this bandwagon. I can do this, you know? And I just like, I got to figure this out. And so when the studio opened, we didn't have really a lot of formal training. It was kind of like, we just kind of got thrown into it and it was, you know, we would, we would meet and kind of chat about stuff. And I was writing a ton at the studio, just trying to figure it out. Like, cause this was all so new to me. And, um, I made this really crazy leap that was actually a very tough thing in my marriage, um, to jump fully into being an instructor and committing myself to just being at this studio full time. Um, it meant I took a huge pay cut and, um, I worked front desk and taught and barely made any money just because I, I wasn't, I was new. And so I wasn't bringing people into the studio. I hadn't built a following yet. I hadn't built a community and the structure of how the studio set up their, their, like how they paid their instructors was great. Like I agree with it and think that it's how other studios should function. Um, but it was like a per head rate, you know, we got a base pay and then a per head rate over a certain amount. And so there was this potential to make really great money, but I just, I was brand new. I had, you had to like you, learn how to build your community and work exactly. the system and all that. Yeah, for it's, sure. Yeah. So, um, but I, I don't, you know, I just, I felt like there was something in me that was like, I need to be doing this. I need to fully commit to this. I don't know why exactly, but I just feel like I need to be going in this direction and jumping with like a hundred percent. So made the leap and just started slowly kind of, you know, building my classes over time and, um, eventually got to the point, you know, I don't think I sold my first class out until about a year into me teaching. At that point I was teaching, I think maybe four or five classes a week. Um, so it took me like a year to get to the point where I was able to get 56 people into a room. Um, and then at that point it was like, okay, now my next goal is I want to be, I kept telling myself, I want to do this full time. I want to prove to myself that I can be a full time instructor and make a living doing this. I know I can do this. Like, I know it's rare in our industry. Like I didn't have any other income coming in. Like that was my sole income was teaching. I wasn't doing anything online. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't an ambassador for anything. It was just me setting a goal for myself. I want to do this full time and prove to myself that I can do this and make good money. And so slowly but surely, I just kind of started building and building and building and then got to a point where I was teaching full time 12 to 15 classes a week. And I did that consecutively for a couple of years. And, um, you know, over the course of that, I started to develop and build my now business Soundride, um, which educates and trains instructors all over 
Um, and I created that because when I was trying to go through the process of doing this and becoming an instructor, there was nothing out there. There's no resources. There was nothing out there to teach me how to do this, how to be a rhythm-based choreographed indoor cycling instructor. And so because of my background in kinesiology and um, just the determination I had to like be the best at this that I could possibly be, I decided to start my company and support other instructors like the best way I could, which at the time it just started as me sharing stuff on social media. And then it eventually just, you know, built into its own business. And so now fast forward to today where, you know, I, I get to teach part-time. I don't teach full-time anymore. Um, I teach part-time and then my, you know, every other part of my day is invested in just, you know, building, growing my business and supporting other instructors. I love that. What do you think, or how do you think your childhood and your upbringing, being an athlete, a tennis player, how do you think that that kind of prepared you for this industry specifically, but also some of the feedback, some of the pushback, some of the obstacles you would face both as an instructor and then now as a business owner? Well, I think when, um, as an, when you're kind of, you know, I'll say with air quotes, like training to be an athlete as, as a kid, um, which tennis, I was really devoted to it. You know, I'd spend five, six hours a day on the court. Um, it, I think when you are raised in that environment, it teaches you a lot of mental strength, um, because you, you have to learn to overcome uh, failure and you have to learn to overcome those mental blocks. Um, because I think a lot of being a successful athlete is, is your mental ability to like push through. It's your, it's your mindset. Like a lot of it really truly is just mindset. It's the ability to like, you know, lose a point and snap out of it really quickly and jump back in and win the next point. And so I think that that transfers into everything in life of like taking on a challenge and maybe being defeated, but being able to pick yourself back up and go, okay, what can I learn from that? And just continue to move forward in the direction that you want to go. Um, I think in our industry, what's really hard is it's like, there's a lot of bumps in the road. You know, a lot of times people see like they'll see someone like, like me who teaches 12 to 15, you know, successful classes a week, bringing in, you know, you know, selling out, like having an 80 to 90 plus percent, you know, occupancy in like every class I teach, like that's very, like, that's rare. Like that doesn't happen very often. Um, but it, people see you in that state and they don't see the years it took to get to that. Yeah. And see the highlight reel. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think it's important for new instructors to realize that like that doesn't happen overnight. You have to be willing to dedicate yourself to years of growth and years of really pouring your heart and soul into this as an industry. Um, and it's totally worth it. I mean, like the, being an instructor is to me the, one of the best jobs in the world. Like it fulfills me beyond what I can even explain in words. Like I truly feel like when I'm on a bike and I'm teaching, like it is what I was born to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, 
I don't mind putting in the energy and the effort and the extra hours because I love it. So to me, it doesn't feel like work. Um, but I think it's important for new instructors to understand that like it, there's like, it's a process and there are seasons you go through, there are ups and there are downs and, you know, there are seasons of really high highs and seasons of really low lows where you feel like I'm not doing anything right. How come no one's coming and taking my class? How do I get people to come in? Like, I, I want to change lives and help people. How do I get people to realize that like, I'm good and I'm passionate about this? Like, I think that is a really common struggle that a lot of instructors don't talk or share, you know, share with each other is like, like I'm struggling. Like I have three people in my class and then you get kind of stuck in this cycle where it's like, because I only have three people in my class, people don't want to come and take my class because there's not enough energy in the room. And then it's like, you get stuck in this really like weird cycle of like, even though you might be this really great passionate ins instructor, you're like, how do I get over that hump of getting more people in the room and showing them like that I'm here to serve them and here to give them an incredible experience. Mm. So I think it's like, you know, kind of going back to the basis of your question of like, I think at a young age, I think it was just instilled in me over the years of being an athlete and being on the tennis court of like, you know, you have to just like get back up and, and keep going. You like don't you, have a choice. Right? <laughs> you just have to do it. Yeah. Exactly. I totally empathize with that. Yeah. I think, so in my experience, there's kind of two reactions of instructors based on this conversation. And one of them is almost this, I hate to use the word jealousy, but it's this like negative mindset of, and we, I, we all go through this, the ups and the downs, mm -hmm. and you can get caught up on like, oh, I'm just not good enough. That instructor's better than me. Or flip side of the same coin is I'm going to go take every single class that this person teaches and see what they're doing right. See what right. they're doing to fill the room. Meet other like members or writers or fill in the blank humans, right? And I just feel like it's, the easy route is the, I'm not good enough. That instructor is better. They have a better time slot, blah, 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 whatever it is. What would be your advice for someone who's kind of like in between that and doesn't know where to start? Yeah. So it's, I think that at the beginning, I think you have more of those internal battles and more of that internal conflict. Now, I, now, because I've been doing this for so long and have, um, I'm very strong in, and, and confident in who I am as an instructor, um, that if I now talk consecutively or consistently to a room of 10 people, I would be okay with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the beginning, I think what happens is the ego gets in the way. And our ego has a tendency to <laughs> break us down. Like it just, it, it puts this negative chatter in our brain. And what we do is the ego has us focus on who's not in the room as opposed to who is in the room. Yes. <laughs> and so we get very sensitive to the fact that, okay, I'm teaching to five people and there are 50 em empty bikes. And we focus on the empty bikes as opposed to the people that are on the bike. 
and we start to disconnect ourselves from the experience of the writer. And we're seeing the class from the experience of just the instructor. I've taken classes where it's only been me and you know, a few other people in the room. And it's been an incredible class. And I've taken classes where there've been 50 people in the room and the class sucked. <laughs> so it's more, I think what we have to do is we have to. It's like, kind of about what you bring to that environment. Yeah. And it's, it's more of, of a mindset. Like I would rather impact three people's lives as opposed to not impact 50 people's lives in a room. Like it's, it, I think it what we have to down is, to why you do it. Right. And I exactly. feel like in, the, in this industry, there's, it's pretty split. Honestly, it's, yeah. you know, when you have instructors, if you're in a position of leadership and they come to you and I'm only bonusing in one of my classes and it's like, well, wh- wh- why are you doing this? <laughs> are you right. doing it for the bonus? Like, hold on, we need to check ourselves here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is, it's tough. There's, there is that kind of internal battle because, you know, we, you know, when I was teaching full time, like it, you know, it was my income, right? Like it, it, it is a paycheck, which I get, but I also think that if you take, you know, 10 steps back and you reground yourself and why you're doing something, then it reminds you of, the purpose to why you're clipping in and stepping into the room every day. And I think if you hold that really true to who you are, then you don't get as distracted by that negative chatter or start to compare yourself to those around you who maybe, you know, have more people in their class. So it's, I always try to tell instructors to create a mission statement. And to keep that mission statement with them in a journal that they keep in their bag all the time, because you, we all have bad classes and we all have bad days and we all have to be reminded of, of why we're doing something. It doesn't make you less purposeful or less passionate about what you're doing. If you have to be reminded sometimes like, and so when you have like that mission statement of like why you're doing what you're doing, you can go back to it and you can read it and you go, okay, yes, you know, I didn't sell my class out, but I know that I fulfilled this mission. I know that I stepped into the room to serve and to give my class the best experience I possibly can. And as long as you know in your heart that you did that, then that's all you can do. You know, like it, we, we are in that room to serve the other people. We're not in that room to serve us. And So we're not just entertainers, Lisa, (laughs) right? I know there's sometimes it's, it's tough because there is kind of that fine line of like, yes, I do somewhat kind of need to entertain. I do somewhat (laughs) kind of need to keep people engaged in what I'm doing. But like at the same time, I think we have to always reground ourselves in the fact that like we we're supposed to be there to serve other people. Like we're not on a podium with the spotlight on us to help us feel good about ourselves. Like we're in that room to help others feel better about themselves and to help them like dive really deep and explore the areas of their life that maybe they just have been a little closed off to, or maybe they just need a place to decompress, or maybe they need a place to just step away from the chaos and the messiness of life. Like we're there to give them that space. We're not there to like, 
clip into the podium and talk about our problems or to boast our ego or to make ourselves feel better. Like at least that shouldn't, in my opinion, that shouldn't be the purpose of it. Right. I think right. like, you know, sometimes people have a different opinion about that, but, um, I think that, (laughs) yeah, it's like, if you want it to be, if you want this to be about more than just a workout, you have to make it more than just a workout and it can't be about you. (laughs) Exactly. And really, in all honesty, like when you're able to, as an instructor, when you're able to level up and provide a space that is more than just a workout, that is when you become a multidimensional instructor and not a one dimensional instructor. Like one-dimensional instructors, they step in, they go through the motions, they can cue, they can tell people what to do, they can yell at people. That's a very one-dimensional instructor. Like a multi-dimensional instructor can provide that, but can also get people to like dive even deeper and to like get a little bit vulnerable or to do some stuff that maybe is a little bit scary and to connect with the people around them and to like a multidimensional instructor is able to kind of shift the entire energy of the room and take a class that is just based on numbers and just based on let's get you sweating and burning calories and transform it into something that is so much more. Mm -hmm. And my goal for instructors is to try and get them to see the power of being a multidimensional instructor and to take the time to develop as an individual and as a human being so that you're able to provide that to people. Gosh. Cause really that, I mean, really it like in all honesty, like that is where you will also start to see yourself become more successful because even when people don't realize at the surface that that's what they're looking for. A lot of times people go into a workout because they just, they want to sweat and they want to burn calories and they want to, you know, do something good for their body and, and, you know, live longer. And and that, all of that stuff is great. All of that stuff is incredible. The physical aspects and the benefits of exercise are wonderful, but the mental aspect of it, where you give somebody a space to like, dive into some deep like shit, excuse my language, but like when you give somebody like the It's like ab- giving them permission. It's exactly. like here, we're creating this environment. Go explore the edge of whatever emotion it is that you need to explore that you don't give yourself time to do outside mm-hmm. of this space. Yeah. And when you're able to do that for someone else, that is when people one, start to feel even more connected to you as an instructor. And because they feel more connected to you, they are going to come back and take your class because there's this other layer and level to what it is they're experiencing. And people want that. Even if they don't know at the surface that they need it, they experience it and they're like, oh my gosh, like, what just happened? I didn't know I was missing that in my life. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, um, yeah. So I think kind of taking that leap into providing people that space is really scary as a new instructor and it doesn't happen right away. I did, I did not become vulnerable and dive deep with my writers until I had been teaching for a while. Like it, you know, it, it, it takes, it takes time. Yeah. How would you, so even not just for new instructors, but for instructors who maybe are making the switch from that big box gym environment or a very numbers driven environment 
to, you know, this space where they want to dive a little bit deeper, be a little bit more vulnerable. A, or like one, where do you draw the line with how vulnerable you are? Yeah. Or how do you communicate sensitive things in an appropriate way? And then also, how do you take that and use it to like grow your community and your connection with your writers? Yeah. So um, I'm glad you brought that up because there is, there, there does need to be some boundaries in the sense of vulnerability, like, because we're like, we shouldn't be up on the bike, just, you know, word vomiting our problems and, you know, just talking about all the stuff we're going through on a personal level. Like there's, I think that there's, there's a way to approach it that is healthy. Um, and there's a way to do it, um, in a way in which your writers feel like they're connecting to you. And my advice is to first is to take a step back from what it is that you're going through and actually write it down. So a lot of times what happens is when, um, instructors have something they want to communicate or get across to their class, they don't take the necessary steps to actually plan out what it is they want to say. So they get up on the bike and then they start to talk and then it just feels like they're rambling and that there's not, um, like a, a cohesive message to what they're trying to, de- to deliver. So well, my- it's showing up unprepared almost. It's like, you don't want to be scripted in being vulnerable and having that moment of connection, but you also don't want to just ramble and be like, okay, where am I going now? This right. is awkward. <laughs> right. Yeah. So my advice would be to sit down and to first just write about it, just to get everything out onto a piece of paper to, um, so the best way to, I guess the best way that I can kind of can connect this, you know, for someone else is to talk about, I guess my own experience. So like the first time that I kind of took that leap and decided that I was going to be vulnerable with my class was, um, like, uh, about six years ago, my husband was diagnosed with cancer and like the first year, um, was like, it just felt like a tornado. I was, you know, I was teaching and I didn't want to step away from teaching because for me, it also felt like my place that I could, you know, find some sanity, but I wasn't really sharing a lot of what was going on in my life at the time. Um, and I decided that, okay, I need to kind of open myself up and share the fact that I'm like, I'm struggling, that I'm, I'm having days where it, like, it's, it's hard for me to just like get out of bed in the morning, um, just with like the unknown and just life feeling like it was kind of out of control. And so what I made sure I did was I made sure that I took whatever message I was giving and related it to something positive. So I didn't want to just step into the room and say, like, I'm struggling. Everything sucks. Yeah. Like (laughs) my life feels like a mess. It felt, you know, like I didn't want to just dump that onto people. And so what I, what I did was, like I said, I, I, I took a step back and I sat down and I wrote and I just wrote out all of my feelings. And then I, and then what I did was I took that and I said, okay, what is the positive message that I can deliver from this challenge and from this struggle? And my positive message was that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how messy or how chaotic things feel, you can step into this room and you can clip into your bike and you can see this as a safe space. 
you can see this as a place that will give you sanity or at least will give you 45 minutes to disconnect from some things in your life that maybe aren't serving you and to allow yourself to connect on a deeper level to the things that do serve you so that when you clip off and step out of this room, you at least feel a little bit better than how you felt when you walked in. And so I didn't share in detail about what I was going through. All I said was that, you know, I, I know I haven't shared a lot with you guys over the last year, but I've, you know, I've been going through my own personal struggle and I want you to know that this space, this place, you guys have given me strength. You guys have like filled my heart and soul and have given me 45 minutes of my day where I feel like I step out of this room so much clearer and so much more sane. And I hope and pray that I am able to give that to you. And what I've learned through this struggle is that no matter what challenges we face in life, that there's always a place that we can go. There's a place that we can go to find community and to find connection. And maybe in that moment, we're not open to what that moment has to give us, or maybe we're not fully open yet to receiving what that room and what class has to provide, but at least it's there for you. And so my goal was just to kind of share first that I was struggling. I just kind of threw it out there that I was going through something in my life, but I wanted there to be something positive from it. And so I made sure that I delivered a positive message with that struggle. And so I think that that is key, is that you can inspire and motivate people even through challenges and even through struggles, but we have to not just make it about the challenge and the struggle. There has to be something positive that we pull out of the experience so that we aren't breaking people down. We're lifting them up. And then also opening that door and letting them know, hey, if you're going through a tough time, if you're go- if you're struggling right now, I want you to know that like I'm here for you. Even if we don't have a one-on-one conversation, you can clip in and you can take my class and know that this is a safe space. And so uh, I think I'm it's- like literally getting chills from all of this. <laughs> like, oh, it's so good. spot on. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And it's like, insert your, you know, story here. It doesn't have to be this, like you mentioned, a word vomit of here's all my problems. It's like, I get you and I don't need to know what your baggage is. You don't really need to know what mine is, but just know that we're all carrying something and that when we're together, which I think the reason like, oh man, I'm like literally getting emotional right now. It's because, you know, we haven't been able to be in that space together for the last two months now almost yeah (laughs) and it's just it's weird to think and to try to conceptualize like how you can relate that feeling to someone who's never been in that room and now there's so many of us that have had that experience and I've seen so many posts of people who are like I'm never gonna clip out early again like I'm not gonna take any moment in that room for granted now that I know what it's like to like have that just taken away how how would you kind of verbalize to someone who maybe isn't quite ready to, as you mentioned, receive what that room has to offer or fully kind of 
just let go of any preconceived notions or perceptions they have about what group fitness is and really just kind of dive in and let it happen. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, it's very, as human beings, we all, we block, we block ourselves from receiving love and receiving connection. Like I, I, I am guilty of it all the time. Um, because it is, it's really scary to be vulnerable. Like it's, um, it's really scary to open yourself up to the challenges and the realization of maybe what's going on in your life at that moment. What I think is really powerful about kind of having that, um, and I'm going to say boutique experience because most big box gyms keep all the lights on in group fitness, whereas uh, boutique studios um, allow you to drop the lights. And I think having a darker room opens people up more to the experience of being vulnerable and being emotional because when the lights are low, there is kind of this perception of like, okay, if, if I, if I do cry, it's not as obvious to the people around me. Like it just, everybody's looking at me. Right. Exactly. And yeah. So I think that the kind of more boutique experience with the lights low, you know, having some candles and moving to the music that there's, it kind of like opens this portal into, um, who you are at on a really, really deep level. And yeah, some people aren't ready for that. And that's, oh, and that's okay. Like I've taken, I've taken a lot of classes where I've had no emotional reaction to anything. And it's just because I'm not in that mindset that day. I myself am not open to receiving what's going on in the moment. I'm just kind of going through the motions. (laughs) Because I feel like this kind of ties back into our conversation before where it's like, if you're not feeling like as an instructor, you can show up and deliver this like emotional experience. Mm -hmm. It's, it's okay to dial it back sometimes. Of course. It doesn't always have to be this like zero to a hundred class. It's like, right. People will give you, your writers will give you grace. You know, they know you're not going to every class isn't going to be the best class you've ever taught ever and said all the inspiring things. And that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) I think on the other end too, as a writer, as a participant, it's okay to have bad days. It's okay to be like, I'm just not feeling it today. A thousand, (laughs) a thousand percent. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, and, and like, in all honesty, I don't think every class you teach as an instructor should be in super emotional and super vulnerable. I think that that's, that's just, it's too much to do that every single time you teach. I think you have to just find a balance and know, um, when you, my advice for instructors is you have deliver those classes when you yourself are in the mindset to deliver it. If you are, I have days where I'm like, I can't be Tony Robbins on a bike today. Like I can't, like, I just, I don't have, I, I I just, I can feel it in my bones. Like I don't have the emotional capacity to give that message today. And so on those days, I just shift gears and I think, okay, 
what's another way I can inspire someone? I'm going to use maybe this style of music that I know is going to be like, you know, maybe a little bit heavier and deeper and kind of push people in a different way. And so I'm going to go that route today because I know, because I don't want to force it. I don't want to force trying to be inspirational and trying to come up with all of these amazing phrases if it's just not in me that day. You know, so and we've all tried it and it falls flat. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay. Like you, and the thing is, is like you have, like you have to try it and fail to get better at it too. Like a lot of instructors, they don't go that route because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And they're like, well, what am I going to say? Or they get up there and they get nervous. Like I remember teaching my first like vulnerable song. Like I remember it to this day, the, the first time that I put a song on and allowed myself to be vulnerable and deliver a message with a very specific, um, like feeling and a very, like I wanted to guide people a very specific way with my words. And I was so nervous and, and I, I messed up. Like I messed up. I didn't say everything I wanted to say. I kind of stumbled a couple times, but I at least did it. And the second time I did it, I was better at it. And the third time I did it, I was better at it. And so we have to kind of put ourselves out there and, and just go for it and try it and do it. And, and yes, it's not going to resonate with every single person in the room, but it is going to impact someone in the room. And that is why we do what we do. We don't do it to try and, you know, change the lives of every single person in there. We do it because we have that one person that comes up to us after class and says, oh my gosh, I've been going through X, Y, and Z. And, and they're in tears. And they're just like, that was exactly what I needed today. Thank you so much. Like, that's why we do what we do is for that one person to come up to us and say, like, you've changed my life. I've been struggling with this for the last three months and I've been able just to come and ride your class and, and not think about it and not worry about it. Like that's why we do what we do, you know? So I think that it is important for instructors to chat, to continually challenge themselves to maybe interject some of that into their teaching style, because I really do think that that is what most people are longing for and needing in their life. Um, but I know that it's also really scary to do that and to put yourself out there and to teach like what I would call like a meditative song, um, where you just really dive deep and you use your words to inspire people. Like it, it takes a lot of preparation. It takes time. It takes, you know, you get like, you do have to practice like what you want to say and your message needs to feel authentic to you. And so instructors need to choose a message that is authentic to them as a person and, you know, write about it and make sure that everything they want to convey is really ingrained in, in their mind so that they can deliver that to their writers. And it's not going to be perfect every time. And that's okay. Like, that's all right. You know, and, and your classes don't have to be like that every single time you teach. Um, but it's great just to provide that to your writers if you can, you know, when you feel like as an instructor, you're in the mindset to be able to deliver that. I love that. Sometimes less is more and that's okay. Very true. <laughs> um, okay. So one thing about this whole situation we're in now, and I, I want this to be evergreen, but no matter what or when listeners will be hearing this, at some point they will have gone through this quarantine that's global, right? And so right. coming out of this 
very real situation where, in my opinion, I've seen people really start to understand the value of human connection and craving that. Whereas before we went into this thing, it was like, people suck. And I'm like, I can do this by myself. I don't need other people. And it's like, actually, what we've learned through all this is we do need other people. And I'm curious, as an instructor, how is your approach to teaching, being vulnerable, finding those very intimate connection moments in class, how is your approach to that going to change, if at all, coming out of this and going back to a class setting? Um, well, I would say my, like my personal approach probably won't shift and change too much because human connection and community is something that I've ingrained in my classes for, um, years now. And I, I, I very regularly in my classes prior to COVID-19 talked about the power of community and talked about the power of connection and that we all need human connection in our life. Um, So that message I think will continue to uh, hold true. Um, I think that maybe what people are going to experience now from, from a writer standpoint is maybe a little bit more appreciation for the fact that, you know, for years we've just had that at our fingertips. And then it felt like almost overnight that that was just taken away. And at the beginning of this pandemic and, you know, businesses closing and gyms closing and studios closing their doors, there was this like frantic energy from, all of these people, like, how do I get a bike? Where do I get a bike? I got to get a bike. How do I get a bike? Like it, there was this like panic of, oh my gosh, I now don't have the ability to go to my safe place. Yeah. And, um, and I still, I think that, I, I think that people that naturally gravitate to that studio setting, um, are probably the ones that are struggling with this the most because I think that those are are the people that know very consciously that they they want and long for human connection. Um, there are also people that maybe don't long for that as much and they are fine just working out from home and they maybe don't uh, feel or understand the value of it. Um, and that's not a bad it's not a bad thing. I think everybody kind of excels in different environments. Um, but I do think that the people that are struggling with this the most are the people that need and thrive off of being around the energy of other people. Um, I am an introvert like through and through. And so I am someone who does, I do find being by myself. Like I love being by myself. Like it is, I don't struggle with it. I can be by myself all day long and be totally fine. But one thing that this like pandemic has taught me is that I, even as someone who is like very introverted and needs alone time, I also need to be around other people. Like I need that connection. I need to be, there's this part of me that feels like it's just missing. 
of not being in the room with all of these people who I look forward to seeing every single week. Like they're not just writers, like they're, they're my tribe, they're my community, they're my friends, they're my family. Like it's, it is, you know, not being able to see them and talk to them and hug them and like, you know, just share with them like day-to-day stuff. Like it just, it, it feels like there's a piece of my life that's not there. And so I think from an instructor standpoint, I definitely like, I will have set, I, I might cry my first class back with people, <laughs> I think we all room, might. <laughs> with people in the room, even though it's going to be like, I think it'll probably only be like maybe 10 bikes spaced very far apart, you know, to make sure that people feel safe, which is great. Even with, you know, just like the small tribe in the room, it's going to feel overwhelming because I think that we all need that. We need to feel that connection to other human beings. As much as we try to convince ourselves that we don't need it, we do. We do need it. We need to feel like we are a part of something. We need to feel like there are other people around us that genuinely care and want us to succeed and want us to show up and pour our heart and soul into something. Like there's there's just this incredible connective experience that you get from being in a room with other people and riding a bike. Like you, you know, it's it's not (laughs) like, you know, some people like, it's just a, it's just a cycling class. Like, why are you, why do you get so emotional about it? And I'm like, that shows me that you have not experienced the power of what that room (laughs) can do. I mean, like, like I think about some classes that we've had and I like I get goosebumps, like celebrating like people's sobriety, like having those moments where you put candles around someone and you celebrate the fact that they haven't taken a sip of alcohol in 10 years. Like, like those are powerful moments, you know, and, and it's and just. And what it says about not just like you as an instructor or a studio, but what it says about a space that that person is choosing that environment to celebrate those milestones with the people in that room that they probably didn't even know before they actually came and took a class. It's, it's crazy. It's insane. Well, and I think it's important for people to understand too, that like, even though you might not know the names of the people around you, you're connected. And I think that that's, a really important message is like, you don't have to be best friends with the people around you for you to be connected to them as a human being. Like, and I think that that's the power of like rhythm based writing is the fact that we're all moving together to like this one beat and the room is dark. And like, it just, there's, there's this level of connection that you just can't fight. It's just, it's there, it's right in front of your face and it can be really overwhelming for people when they experience it the first time, but in a good way, you know, like I I think that it's the thing that's tough is sometimes you can go and take a class like that and not feel anything. And so when that happens, I think sometimes people are like, I don't get it. Like, and it, and maybe it's just, you didn't take it from the right instructor. You weren't connecting to maybe their message or their music. But when you find like your person, when you find the instructor that like you connect with, that has the message that you connect to the music. Yeah. It's a game changer. changer. Yeah. Yeah, totally is. 
So something that I want to transition to as we talk about this coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic is the reaction and the response of studios, owners, instructors, writers, just kind Mm. of this whole thing. And like, to be totally honest, I don't even know how to put any of this into words. A lot of it has just been like feelings and emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. that I'm sure we've all felt at one point or another over the last couple months. And, you know, I've just noticed that there's been a lot of mm, not radio silence, but for for lack of a better word, we'll, we'll say radio silence from certain people who you would think would step up and lead in a situation Mm -hmm. like this. And, you know, someone told me, and I think it's, it's true that, you know, this is unprecedented. And so everyone's feelings and reactions are totally valid. And I, you know, great. I think that's fine. But I think there does come a point where it's like, you have to walk the walk. Mm -hmm. And if you've been preaching community over competition or, you know, lead by example, all these things, then there's no greater time than this to really step up and lead by example. And so I'm just curious, you've traveled all over, worked with instructors all over, you know, North America at this point. And so what are you seeing from studios and instructors? Like, how are people feeling? How are they reacting? Are they feeling supported and all that good stuff? Yeah, I think that um, there's, there's a, a lot, a lot going on. Um, you know, just like any industry, I mean, this pandemic, this pandemic, like dramatically impacted like the fitness industry, right? Just like most businesses. Um, and I think sometimes what happens is when situations like this occur, um, there's a lot of fear that comes out. And when people get fearful that, and they go into survival mode, um, they lose sight of like the, the big picture and, um, fear is very destructive and survival mode is very destructive and it's very selfish. And when someone is in that mental state, they aren't thinking of the collective. They're just thinking about survival, right? And so what happens is, is that in my opinion, that people start to make these, these decisions that they think are going to help them survive. And those decisions don't always serve, um, the people around them the best way possible. And so, um, from, I'll start from like, I'll start from, I guess, from an instructor's perspective. Um, As an instructor, you know, it's most instructors who teach um, don't do it full time. Most instructors do it as like a side gig and have like another job that they do. Um, With this pandemic, obviously teaching has been taken off the table, right? Um, And then maybe potentially their other job has been also taken off the table, Um, in that scenario, like there's a couple different, there's a couple different, I think, perspectives on the situation. Like as an, as an employee, um, like if you're an employee for a studio, um, the protection that you have as an employee is very different than what you have as a contractor, right? 
like legally as a contractor, um, you like, I've always functioned as a contractor, as an instructor, which means that I basically function as my own business within a business, right? So that means that I am responsible for making sure I pay my, you know, pay my taxes um, to, uh, you know, my state and federal taxes every quarter. Um, nothing gets taken out of my paycheck. Like I'm responsible for my healthcare. I'm just, like, I, I, I'm a business functioning within a business as a contractor, which means in a situation like this, I can't have the expectation of a studio um, taking care of me as a contractor, as an employee, I think it's a little bit different, but the thing that's tough is like, um, you know, studios, like I've seen some studios that are doing everything they possibly can to support their instructors the best way they know how. And then I've seen other studios that haven't, that just haven't created a, you know, a, a means for them to feel supported and, and really support is really, I think right now is more of like emotional support. Um, because I don't think it's necessarily fair as an instructor to expect to be like paid in a moment like this. And I know that sounds really harsh. Um, but like you're working for a business and that business has no source of revenue either potentially, right? There are some studios that have been creating some sources of revenue and, and have been creating opportunities for instructors to, you know, teach online and hopefully make a little bit of money doing that. Um, but not all studios have been doing that. Right. And so, um, I think that again, it's just, it's a, it's a mindset. It's okay. We're all panicking. (laughs) We're, we're all fearful. Um, we're all trying to survive and none of us really know what or when normalcy is going to come back into our lives. Right. So I think from an instructor's perspective, I think what you have to do is you have to take ownership of the mindset that you're in and see this current pandemic as either an opportunity for you to grow as an instructor in maybe ways that you haven't had an opportunity to before, or you can see it as, oh, I... I'm not able to teach. I'm not able to get a paycheck. Like, I think it's, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a perspective, right? Like the last two months, instructors all over the world could have taken the last two months to do personal development, to jump, you know, to read books on how to grow as an individual, to watch classes online and learn different ways of approaching being an instructor. Like the last two months literally could have been with all the free stuff that's online too right now could have literally been a way for them. It's a gold mine. Yeah. Like (laughs) honestly, yeah. Like it could have been a way for them to learn how to level up as an instructor. I don't know who, you know, if people have taken advantage of that, but I think really it's like, how would your, what would your response be to what I've seen is a lot of people honing in on just their studio or just their brand, which I think obviously you have to do, like you want to keep your community engaged as much as possible in your realm. But like you mentioned, as an instructor, it's a really great opportunity. It's not bagging on your own ride or your own studio, your own community, if you want to grow and learn. And even if it's things that are not applicable to your circumstance, you just learned how you don't want to do something, which is almost as powerful as learning on how to do something. Right. So there's just so much 
opportunity in this that if you can get past that initial fear-based mindset, and I think this goes for like employees, management owners as well. It's like if your instructors are growing and learning and getting out there as much as possible, consuming everything that's for free on the internet right now, right? they're going to bring back so much to your brick and mortar studio at the end of all this. It's not a threat to you. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's tough is like, um, you can't change the mindset or perspective of the people that you work for. Right. Like, I mean, sometimes you can, but a lot of times you can't. And so if, if, you know, if the studio that you work for, um, is placing certain restrictions on their instructors, um, then, I mean, it just, it puts the instructor in a really hard position. Um, it's, and it's, it's different. Like as a, like as a contractor, you can do whatever you want. Like as a, like no one, I, like, cause I'm a contractor. I, no one can tell me that I can't teach classes on Instagram yeah. cause I'm a contractor as an employee, based on whatever contract I might've signed as an employee, I might not legally be able to do that during this pandemic. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think sometimes instructors get stuck in a position in which maybe they do want to do something, but they like aren't allowed to. And, um, which sucks, but that, you know, unfortunately that's like, that's a part of the industry and it's a part of the contract that you agreed to sign. Right. So, um, I, I don't know. I just, I think like, I mean, I personally would have, and I shared this on Instagram, like I was very criticized for doing free classes. Um, cause people said that I was like, that I was basically, um, like taking away from the industry because here are these other studios out there that are trying to you know, put classes online and sell them for a certain amount of money. And you're taking like, you're me, you, me, as in I'm taking clients away from these people because I'm giving free classes away. And I mean, it's, it's this whole notion of, I mean, other people's opinions, right. And how, oh gosh, I don't even know how to ask this question. It's like, to what extent do you allow other people's opinions on that? to affect what you're doing with your personal brand too. Like you teach at a studio, but you are still your own brand. And it's not, it's not (laughs) like a threat to the studio. It's not a threat to the industry. If you keep going and moving forward. And I, I would argue it's not an ego thing. You're not out to get, something or you're not out to undermine this a studio in particular and it just seems very selfish on other people's behalf that they would attack you for doing something like that right I mean um in all honesty like it hasn't changed what I've been doing at all which people can can see by the simple fact that I've just continued to teach um I think like initially when I first started teaching and doing classes online, I wanted to make sure that I was going into it with the right perspective and with the right purpose. And so, you know, I, like, I, 
I told myself and I told my husband, like, I'm doing this to serve the community. Like right now, like it feels like shit hit the fan. People are panicking. Everyone is struggling. People are losing their jobs. Um, they don't have income. They have maybe lost their safe space, the studio that they typically get to go ride to. My goal is just to provide a space for someone to go and at least feel some level of connection. All I want to do is just serve people. I'm not like looking to profit from them tuning in and writing. I'm not looking to, um, I'm not even necessarily looking to like grow my follower base. Like it really is just, it was a way for me to just feel like, I just felt like I needed to serve people and that was it. And so initially when I first started doing it, um, I didn't really have any doubt in my mind. I was like, oh, it's okay. Like I'm just going to go on and I'm going to serve people and just teach some classes and see how it goes. And then like a week or two into it, like is when I kind of started receiving some criticism and, um, and a lot of, a lot of it came from like actually studios like online, like studios that I, I'm not necessarily affiliated with, um, but, you know, and, and once you like, you know, have having a, like a phone call conversation and it being like, well, you know, you're giving stuff away for free, which takes business away from us. And I, and my response is like, the people that follow me and come and ride with me aren't your clients. The people that are like the people that are supporting you and buying your programs and wanting to like serve your studio are your clients. Like, like I, all I can do is just continue to stay strong in, in the reason why I'm doing something. And that's why, like at the beginning of our conversation, when I mentioned like having a mission statement and one of the exercises that I, I take instructors through is like, is like these levels of why, like, why do you want to be an instructor? Why are you doing what you're doing? And when you break it down and you really truly understand what the root is for what it is you're doing, then no matter what somebody else says to you, you're going to stay true to that because you know that you are serving people through your why. And for me, it really is just like, you know, I had like a little, not gonna lie, I had like a little bit of doubt, like when I was starting to get some criticism, I was like, okay, like, am I like, am I being disrespectful is this to the, the right industry? Thing to do? Like, am I? And yeah. and then I went back through and I was like, no, my purpose here is, is to serve. I, I do understand why they feel the way that they feel. Like I get it. I, it's not like I don't understand their feelings or I don't understand their fear. I do. I get it. But like at, at the same time, I am staying true to why I started doing what I'm doing and serving people and giving them a space in this chaotic time to go and just ride. And that's it. It's like at the end of the day, if you feel called to do something, you just have to do it. <laughs> you do. And you can't, I mean, it, and it's, it's natural to get side railed and it's natural to um, allow someone's comments to affect you. It's it's just a part of being a human being, right? You know, it's um, it's like when you have you have a hundred people that tell you you're amazing, and you have one person that tells you you suck. Like the one person that tells you you suck impacts you so much more than the hundred people that tell you you're amazing, right? It's like we 
just our brain has a tendency to really focus on the negative and to um, like dwell on it. And so, you know, it affected me for about two days and then I got over it and I was like, no, yeah, I'm good. Like I, did you like consciously hold space for that? Were you like, I'm feeling this way about this feedback that I'm getting about hosting free rides on Instagram and I'm going to kind of like mull over it for a minute and then I'm going to move on. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I've done a lot of self work um, and a lot of personal development over the years. So I can usually kind of pinpoint when something is like really affecting me and I'm kind of like avoiding it. And so when it first kind of popped in my brain, um, I didn't really um, address it for about like half a day. And then like later on in the day, I could tell it was like really starting to affect me. And so I sat down and I was like, okay, why, why is this affecting me so much? And I was kind of having that internal battle between like my logical and emotional brain, right? Where it's like, logically, I know something, but emotionally it's being overpowered by what someone said to me. Right. And so I had to kind of take a step back and think like, okay, why is this, why is this affecting me? Why is, why are these opinions deterring me from what I know to be true? And I had to kind of do some self-reflection, which is usually not a pretty thing. Right. And it's, and it really like, in all honesty, like thinking I I don't ever, I have this really hard time feeling like I don't like disappointing people. Like I don't, I don't want to disrespect or disappoint other people in my life and which drives my perfectionism. Right. And I know that this is a, it's a part of who I am and it's something that I struggle with, you know, it, it intertwines into my life in a lot of different ways. And the bottom line is, is that I was allowing the opinion of people who aren't really involved in my life at all to affect me. And, you know, these opinions were coming from, you know, like these other accounts that I don't really know on a personal level. Right. And so I'm like, why, why, why am I, why do I care what they think? I shouldn't, I can't, I just, I can't like, this is so stupid. Like I can't harbor on the fact that maybe I'm disappointing or pissing off like five people. Like I just can't because I know that I am powerfully positively affecting hundreds of people. And to me, that's more important. And so um, I think once I kind of made that shift and kind of regrounded myself in why I'm doing this And, you know, I talked to my mom about it too. And she was just like, you know, my mom, she's like, she's just the cutest thing on the face there. She's just like, baby, you know, she's like, you, she's like, just go back to why, why are you doing this? Just remind yourself why, and just know that like that, that is what should be driving what you're doing. It doesn't matter what four or five other people think. Allow them to think what they want. If there's a couple people speaking up and talking back at you for doing things, it probably means you're on to something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it means I'm doing something right, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or it's like you're out thinking people and it's like, you can't blame me. I'm just doing what I love and I have so much passion and purpose behind it. It's like, I'm, I'm not sorry that 
that offends you. <laughs> like, right. That's and, what I'm made for. Well, and you know, it was kind of one of the things that's kind of like rolled around in my brain a lot lately is like that question of like, what would you do if you never got paid to do it? And like, this has shown me how passionate I am about teaching that like, I, I don't get paid. I haven't gotten one paycheck in the, in two months. I haven't gotten any money in the last two months and I'm still teaching four times a week. And I love it. Like, and it is, it's shown me, it's kind of like brought that back up to the surface of like, wow. Yeah. I actually really would do this with, you know, if no one paid me, like, that's how much I love it. That's how much I feel called to do this in my life and to serve people this way, you know? So, um, I mean, for me, it's been a great realization and a good way for me to kind of, um, like reground myself back into like, why, like, you know, cause I've been doing this for a long time. And when you do something for 10 years, you can get a little bit lost in why you do it. And, um, like for me, this has really shown me like, no, I just, I love this. Like I, I can't imagine my life without it. Like, so even though, I love that. you know, even though you know I'm not making it so much, it's like great. selfishly, personally, after moving from California, it was like so hard to find that not Lisa, <laughs> but almost like finding a Lisa, you know, and yeah. every yeah. state is different and every studio has its own quirks. And right. so I personally have just been very grateful. And I know a lot of my friends all over um, the country at this point have tuned into your rides. <laughs>